Welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Podcast. I'm just doing great and fine. It is Tuesday. Pat just had a, a, a Mets meltdown. It's Tuesday. Before hitting record. <laughs> October 4th, 2022. We're in the fall. That's Ian Ferguson. I'm Pat Contry. On the show today, what will we be discussing? Oh, geez. We're going to talk about uh, the prices of auctions continuing to go down. Video game auctions. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, fandom, I guess. NFTs. Uh, you know, WW2E2K uh, tattoo controversy. Uh, Google Stadia is dead. Your voicemails and more. Whew, you got through it, Ian. Woo! On this episode. <laughs> you got very, very tired. Woo! Okay. Very. Um, <laughs> sleep was not good last uh, night. We talked about how great Costco is, the American Dreams Costco. We sure did. We filleted uh, Costco in the bonus bit uh, at slash CU podcast. And I, at first I said, oh, we're not going to get 20 minutes out of this. We got 20 minutes on the dot and I had to cut it off. Could have gone another 20. Could have, yeah. Could have gone another 20. Um, we went over the, the, the... We didn't even get into the electronics. We didn't get into that stuff. We didn't get into a lot, a lot of like the chairs and... and, and you know, Sometimes a, a big furniture. pile of jeans in the middle of the store. Oh, yes. Oh, I've done socks, that before. The, yep. the book section, the vitamins, uh, the protein drink section, all that good stuff. We like jeans, $10. Okay, I mean, they're probably going to suck, but I'll buy a pair of jeans for $10. <laughs> 12 socks for $4? <laughs> okay. okay. And of course... <laughs> Six of them will be usable. <laughs> and of course, the glorious outdoor... Food court. Food market. Food yeah. court. Uh, and like the prices were lower than what I thought they were. I did get the hot dog, right? The hot dog's... The quarter pound. Well, hot everyone dog. knows the hot dog is a dollar fifty. That's yeah. like the classic, like. But I didn't realize thing was, to know about. I Costco. didn't realize it was fifty cents for a fountain drink. Still, I, I fifty nine. Fifty nine. Excuse me, fifty nine. I did not realize. It, and then, I, then everything else is so cheap. Still, two, under two bucks for a slice of pizza. Yep. We 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 can talk more. We we no, can just um, redo that. It, we can redo it. We could pay money for it. <laughs> pay money for uh, it and go listen to what we said about Costco. You know, you, Costco <laughs> prices stay the same, but you know what continues to go up? Video game prices, especially Sony, and on the tail end of $70 games, they're doing a remaster. I try to work that in. Another remaster. That's all right. Uh, Last of Us remaster. Is that out yet, or is it coming out? It's out. It's out, I think. For $70, and people are complaining, because it's the second time they've remade or remastered this uh, Last of Us. One was a remaster, one was a remake. Whatever. It's within, like, nine years. Yeah. So, well, here's... Never, never a company to let them to not one up themselves. Sony said, "Hold my beer to their other hand," <laughs> and they are releasing a. Uh, they're working supposedly a remake, a remaster or remake. They're not really sure yet. Is uh, in the works for Horizon Zero Dawn, a game that came out in February of 2017. Excuse me. And it seems to make sense, I think. Well, it doesn't make sense, but I think what they're doing is, like, The Last of Us 1 remake was basically, like, used all the, uh, I think it took all, like, the quality of life upgrades from Part 2 and, you know, and put them into, and put Part 1 into that engine, I guess. I think that's probably what they're trying to do here. They want the original game to more closely reflect uh, the most recent game that they put out. Uh, I, no matter how you look at it, though, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Uh, this IGN it article. wasn't even like an early game on the PS4. It was like a mid-life cycle game on the PS4. Adam Bankhurst reporting this in IGN. Um, so first off, he notes um, there was a PC release in 2020, and that release added improved draw distance, higher frame rates, but it wasn't considered a remaster or remake. It's the right. closest thing to it, though, because if you got a nice Close graphics card. Close to a remaster, yeah. 
and I that's guess. the way I'm starting to look at this. It's like, well, Ian, instead of just having a PC game and updating your graphics card to get a better version of it, we're just going to sell you all a new version of every fucking game that comes out every three years. Right, and you know, I think that's where like PC gaming has the advantage is because you can take those games and drive up the the you know the the, the, the sliders I guess the, the, yeah 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 draw distance uh, high resolution the higher options, all frame that. rate or 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 mods a G, you know a GTA five famously has mods that look incredible they look lifelike the yeah. graphics on a console though it's that's where it matters you you get what you get you're you're not going to find ways to boost the performance that's the term I was looking for Jesus Christ boost the performance the sliders yeah. uh, there's gonna be sliders a, gonna you be, can do the sliders sliders that was a good show I like, like sliders a lot uh, my dad loved that I show. had a crush on the, the the girl with the short hair. I don't think I ever uh, watched it. Did you watch Sliders? No. Oh, Jerry McConnell. Uh, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is going to get a Netflix series, so, that, so the theory is that this and Last of Us, since they have movies or or series... It's to that... keep them looking good in the public eye, even it, though it's, the it's last cash. Horizon Dawn looks... Uh, like, the, the PS4 version looks great. This is a cash-in. Yes. This is a cash-in. This is a true cash-in. If, if, if you told me, maybe, okay, this is going to be like 35 bucks. this game. It's going to be a quote-unquote budget 40 bucks. It's a full-price game. That's the problem. Oh, yeah. There's no way Sony's going to do that for anything less than $70. No. That's what's annoying about You're it. You're going to pay and say thank you to Sony. <laughs> you said that kind of creepily. Yeah. You're going to pay and say thank you to Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Fandom acquires GameSpot and Screen Junkies and everything else. I don't um, know a whole lot about this. I don't know about the fan- Fandom conglomerate. But the constant uh, pulling shit in under the same umbrellas is never something I like to see. Uh, soon it's all going to be Disney, Microsoft, and fandom. <laughs> um, so Metacritic. And Embracer. And yeah, Embracer. Oh, yeah. Ab- I'm sorry. Absolutely. Embracer and uh, Tencent. Um, GameSpot, Metacritic, TV Guide. I didn't even know TV Guide was still around. Fanatical, Comic Vine. I've heard of Comic Vine. I don't know what's on it. Cord Cutters. Don't know what that is. Giant Bomb, gigantic site. Game Facts, one of the oldest uh, resources of gaming news, go back to like the mid 90s, and Screen Junkies, which I've heard of. So they're trying to get like news, they're trying to get resources here, they're trying to get like fresh content sites. Uh, Metacritic is another resource that they're trying to just pull on everything. Right. Deal worth $55 million. Honestly, that doesn't seem like as much money as I would have thought. I don't know. I don't know how much money you know, any of this shit is worth. I don't know what a, a site like GameFAQs is bringing worth. through. True. I mean, I still use uh, GameFAQs because I'm old and I like text-based stuff. But I mean, I, d- I doubt that many uh, you know people who have grown up in the modern age are going to GameFAQs for text-based walkthroughs. They're using YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I still go for information when you're doing certain guidebooks. It's helpful. Information. Uh, uh, this was this was owned by Red Ventures before. Fifty-five million dollar deal. Um, Fandom was uh, was founded by Wikipedia's co-founder Jimmy Wales in uh, 2004, and entrepreneur Angela Beasley. Mm. So there you go. So Fandom's taking control. We're thrilled to add these powerful orth- authoritative brands into the Fandom <laughs> platform, author- <laughs> which will expand our business capabilities and provide immersive content for our partners, advertisers, and fans. What is? I don't understand what GameFAQs does for that. Uh, the trusted insights, ratings, and content they provide will make us a one-stop shop for fans across their entertainment and gaming one step, step. It's just scary because you don't want them to shut down something like GameFAQs. There's so much information on that site. Right. So you really, like, that would be awful to see something like that go it's, away. It's like Atari trying to uh, buy up Moby games. It's like you don't want them to shut or something like that. There's no. so much information. It's not, it's, they're not but, perfect, but you need them. Was, I think GameFAQs was already under that umbrella. Under what umbrella? 
they the fandom one. I don't think that's part of the recent acquisition. Oh. I think they've been under fandom for a while, so if fandom hasn't done anything bad to them already, I don't think they will. Okay, you might be right. Yeah, that's one I, on the list. That, that list was these... just, this is everything they have, but what they just acquired yeah. was not GameFAQs. Um, I don't believe. I mean, it says in the, in the first article that including online publishers, Comic Vine, GameFAQs, GameSpot. Oh, so. Okay, well, hopefully, hopefully they don't. We'll see about that. Um, NFT trading has collapsed more and more. It's like it's like a uh, black hole. Um, yeah, I don't really have a ton to say on it, other than we've been covering this and we know it's a nightmare. For a year and a half, we've been on what the first of all, what the fuck's NFT? To oh my god, this is a, a weird, dumb concept. To why are people putting money into this? To now is a disaster, and people are losing money as we had predicted and everyone else. So, yeah, NFT trading volumes have collapsed 97% from the January peak. No surprises. And I got to say, going through, like, you know, seeing the occasional, like, NFT Twitter threads that are still out there, the people that are left are really trying to put on a strong face about it. Really trying to put uh, on a strong face about it. I saw a thread about... By the dip. <laughs> by the dip in NFTs. How to survive in an NFT bear market. Like, that's a real fucking thing. That's like saying there, there's a fucking Beanie Baby bear market. No, there's just there's just a uh, there's just it was a market and now it's not. It's just a speculative <laughs> bubble and it yeah. bursts and it's nothing. It's like that's done. that's it, that's it. That's how this stuff uh, usually works out. Um, there's no speculation at ultimateintendo.com though. We know what's there. We know we have good stuff. We know we got uh, RBI baseball stickers. We have the enamel pin which you can't see because the Halloween baskets in front here. Uh, you you got you got the stickers, you got the stickers, you got the limited sticker. It's limited. You got the see you podcast stickers. You got Danny approved. You got Pat and Frank stickers at ultimate.com and the certain guidebooks uh, for sale as well. Um, I'm going to be on, on uh, Twitch Wednesday, twitch.tv slash country code exclamation point. Ian, Ian is not in the chat no. on Wednesday. Mm-mm. He's not in the chat. That's actually a command. And then um, we will be at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, our triumphant return after three years out. That's going to be in God, a week and a half. We're going to be on a flight. Uh, October 15th and 16th. That's so weird. I, I, I mean, I'm leaving next Wednesday, so this is a week away, and that's just You're leaving popping on my brain. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we're going to be there. Uh, we're going to have a panel on Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. a live podcast panel. It should be fun. Um, then I think I have a panel uh, on Sunday as well. And then the next week, I will be in Arlington, Texas for Retropalooza. Uh, that is the 22nd and 23rd of October. That's what's going to be. Fun times are happening. Also at PRGE, P. the Blockbuster Championships is returning. So famously, the last Blockbuster on Earth, it's a mom and pop. They just basically kept the branding after corporate went down and, you know, franchisees. So the last one is in Oregon. Uh, James Rolf did a video about visiting it. It's not that far uh, out from where the convention is. I think it's like 20 minutes. It's, I don't think it's too far. Okay. Something like that. So... Um, powered by Double Jump Events and hosted by the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, the Blockbuster World Video Game Championship 3, since the last one was, what, like 94, 95, uh, will create new memories for a new generation. It's free to enter for all. We didn't talk about this before. Um, so they're going to have a Blockbuster uh, room set up, like an experience room, like how like the store looks still, which is cool. Portland does like to have it. I like it when they do that sort of thing. Like the one year uh, our friend Stefan did the the counselor's corner room. That's right. Uh, and then out on the floor, they usually do like a 70s style room with like a, like a just an area with like a couch and like a wooden TV. You know, the, and a shag carpet. They usually yeah. 70s. Uh, they usually do an 80s one as well. They usually do two at Portland. Yep. Uh, which is nice there. So uh, the games that will be played there, there's going to be, they're going to focus on, uh, let's see, 
when Saturn, when Sega Saturn dominated the 32-bit wars, and Atari Jaguar was the best-selling cartridge-based 64-bit system. So I guess they're doing like an alternate reality uh, on this. Um, then again, it might have been the best cartridge. No, it wasn't. Super Nintendo was probably in N64 was way above Jaguar. Jaguar sold like dick. Um, but anyway, this is an alternate reality. So the round one is Saturn Bomberman, the 10-player one. Single elimination, match mode, battle mode, wide stage, singles. Can't imagine having a, a shrunken 10-player. No draws. First player to win three battles moves on to round two. Wow, that's okay. going to be tense. So only yeah. one, one out of ten moves on. That's where I will not do well. Like, the second game I would do well at. The second game is called Downfall OG+. Plus. This is like a... you. It's a platformer, arcade-style, free runner, but constantly it scrolls upwards. you got to keep from falling up. On platforms, you can't fall down, you can't fall up. And there's, like, fruits to pick up. It's an interesting-looking game. Um, it's a homebrew. So that will be for the grand prize. So there's only two rounds. And so the first round is on Saturday, and the second round is on Sunday. The, the grand prize is $1,000 in PRGE Exhibitor Hall shopping spree. You're going to have half a day to spend it on Sunday. So I guess you got to really, you really got to run around. So if I won one of those prizes, Ian, I might have to uh, just run around or just give it away or just maybe use it for next year. I don't know how that would work out. Uh, anyway, so anyway, so yeah, that's an interesting one. I might, I might uh, enter it. Yeah, I, I think you should. It. Give it a go. Um, it's 11.30 a.m. is round one. Our on panel, Saturday. Our panel, I believe, is at 12.15, so I'm not sure how that's going to work out. I might have to ask to be the first one to play. <laughs> Get in early. That's, fu- that's fun if they're doing something like that, though. I, I, I honestly would be, be more into it if they have, like, a trophy, like some sort of, like, trophy. Sure. That'd be nice. All right. So this is one that we, I believe we probably talked we about this, this five years ago, four years ago, whatever this. this was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, WWE 2K uh, Orton Tattoo Artist wins the lawsuit against Take-Two 2K. So this is interesting with implications, and it's interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, basically what happened was is Randy Orton was featured in a WWE 2K game and he had some tattoos on him that were the original artwork of a tattoo artist and the tattoo artist uh, sued for infringement. Uh, it's not fair use, basically. Yeah, copyright. Copyright. Um, and I mean, kind of surprisingly, I think here, uh, they sided with the tattoo artist mm-hmm. and... Basically, she was paid. Uh, she was entitled to three thousand seven hundred and fifty for the usage of her tattoo designs. But the th- main point, one of the other main points, was is that they determined that. Uh, so basically, all in all, the jury had to make decisions regarding three major points: fair use, the dollar amount of potential damages, and whether the tattoo designs led to any video game profits. And the jury ruled in favor favor of Catherine Alexander for fair use. And then that it was ter- not fair. It use. was yeah, it was not fair use. They said she was entitled to three thousand seven hundred and fifty for the usage of her tattoo designs, but the jury ruled. And of course, the tattoo designs did not contribute to the success of the WWE two K games. It's tough to prove there was some sort of damages there, and yes. that's usually what needs to be proven. So going forward, it's interesting because this is totally, this is a very new thing, and I don't think this has ever come up with tattoos before. Um, you may have to license out the tattoos uh, to put the, to include them in a game, an athlete's tattoos. But if you don't, also there's no damages. So or I wonder... minuscule damages that if you get a lawyer, like it's not worth your time. Right, so three thousand, and that's the thing. Three thousand seven hundred fifty dollars is I, I can't imagine so, that's really worth the amount of time spent. Think about all the movies The Rock is in. He famously has entire yeah. arm 
you know, sleeves covering him. Mm-hmm. So now in theory, is is that artist allowed to go back and sue for all the movies that The Rock appeared in? Right. That's what's so weird. Because what this says in theory is that once you get a tattoo, you don't no longer own 100% your likeness and image of your of your body. Right. And that's and that, kind and of that, terrifying. That's the slippery slope. And that's what I try to bring up originally. And I remember there was a couple artists went at me about what about the rights of the artist. But it's like, I don't, how do you separate that out? Am I now like controlled in a weird sense? By someone else i get it with uh, art yeah. that's not on a body but like once it's on your body yes that's very that's different i looked at it i think i made it try to make an analogy about what if a furniture company sued because furniture in a living room was featured in a movie it's like once you buy it and it's part sure. of your natural environment like that's part of the, what it is the process of getting tattoo it's like someone's gonna walk around with it like that's how it's used that's that's the use of a tattoo you walk around with it someone commissions art you can use that in a myriad of ways. There's, but a, uh, a tattoo is you walk around with it, and it's not it's not a featured part. So it's not a trademark image like on uh, CM Punk. Whenever he, like this Pepsi tattoo uh, was always taken out, yeah, because that's a trademark. Sure, uh, but this is not. This is why I was just, I think it was slippery slope. I think it's fucking this is good. CM Punk and his stupid shitty Pepsi tattoo. I don't mind that. That's not the worst thing about CM Punk. <laughs> no, the Pepsi Plunge was a much worse thing than the Pepsi oh. tattoo. The Pepsi Plunge is an awful move. Uh, okay, I don't remember him using that in WWE. Uh, I know, that was like indie era. But um, it's a slippery slope, obviously, because this, uh, for music videos, for movies, for TV shows, uh, but but it's glad that they said it has nothing to do with success, because of course it doesn't. Right. No one goes to see The Rock's movies because of his tattoos. No. Like, no one goes to see, oh, Danny Trejo has a ton of tattoos. You know, like going back, uh, you know, probably forty years. Uh, so, like, it, it's a weird thing, and I think it's going to be appealed. Uh, but I don't know how much money they made or lost based upon uh, paying lawyers for this. Maybe they expected to get paid a hundred thousand dollars. They only got thirty-seven fifty. But the fact that it was declared fair use, uh, not excuse me, not fair use, was was shocking. I think to a lot of people that I saw discussing it. So there you have it. There. Uh, what else is going on, Ian? What else we got going on? Nintendo is embracing the grassroots Smash community. There's a good article. Oh, this snuck up on me. It snuck up on you. Sorry. I pasted it in a few days ago. Um, so this is interesting just because we talked about how these, this was changing over the past year. Uh, what was it? Panda Global. They're, yeah, they're we did bring up Panda year. Global before in a, in a previous intro. intro. Um, and they're doing the first officially licensed Super Smash Brothers circuit. A series of tournaments throughout 2022 will all lead up to the Panda Cup finale from December 16th to 18th. This is from IGN. Uh, at the Los Angeles event, we'll offer a 100K wow. prize pool. And this is what you get when you get Nintendo back in it. For 32 of the best Super Smash Bro- uh, Ultimate players and Smash Brothers Melee players across the country. Interestingly enough, that they are recognizing Smash Brothers Melee. You're getting what you want. Um, yeah, uh, you know uh, they say you know for Nintendo, the Panda Cup was a really important kind of step for us in finding a way to partner with the community because they've been so famously bad at it in the sure. past. Um, finding a way that they can partner with a company like Panda, who's been in the community, knows the history of the community, and is really familiar with all the grassroots effort that have gone to it. So basically. Panda knows what's going on with it. Nintendo is basically hopping on board and trusting that they are going to, you know, basically handle this right. And and the qualifiers will be at the grassroots ones that have existed before. It sounds like so that's sure. So they're working it with that. So like, hey, you're going to be an official part at, at a smaller level for a qualifier. So that, I mean, it's a, I guess how much better? I mean, it's the best of both worlds, I guess. You got Nintendo backing them for a big event. You got the grassroots ones, uh, the smaller ones, getting recognized some in some official capacity. Yeah, this this I mean, this will hopefully start to breed some goodwill between Nintendo and the Smash Brothers community because they always seem completely opposed. Sure. 
Uh, Nintendo shows Penn a first ability to engage and organize the Smash Brothers grassroots community that has built itself over the years and give it the official backing of Nintendo's brand. Uh, we've been in the community for eight and a half years. We understand it very intrinsically. We know what it needs. We know it. We have that vision. So this, so this is just a marketing, you know, loss leader for Nintendo. They're not making money directly off of this. They're putting in money. It's just to keep the community going. And then obviously, eventually, there'll be a new Smash Brothers game. But like that would sell regardless. But so I, like I said, like, I think it's going to be a long time before there's a new Smash Brothers. Oh, Sakurai's fucking done. Yeah, <laughs> he's just fucking done. He's just he's, he, he he finally stopped uh, doing his tweets. You said every day of Smash yep, Brothers. And he, he started his YouTube channel. He's done with the Smash Brothers. Do you think? Do you think uh, Smash Brothers will be like how the Mario Kart probably might become? Just we'll just keep adding on tracks and little things and just. Well, they did. Up. I mean, they gave us two expansion seasons. Um, I mean, in the future, like five years from now, it'll just be like, here's a, it'd be the core game. Like, how, oh, I think, I yeah. think how, I think Mario Kart and we've talked about this before. I think Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers have a good chance going forward of within the first two years of the new Nintendo system, they release a Smash Brothers and a Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. And then they just continue to iterate on that for the rest of the, the lifespan of that system, as opposed to putting out like a nine or, a, you know, putting out another one. I think, I think we will see Mario Kart and Smash Brothers become Nintendo's first kind of like real games as service. Sure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Unless they just said, hey, on the Super Switch, you're just going to get the same game. We're just going to keep selling you more DLC. Well, I think at some point people are going to want to see mechanics switched up. And I think that's the thing that, oh, you, I see. you know, I uh, don't personally, I think they're perfect. Well, I like them, but uh, the people who play like Mario Kart online now, they've all got their best builds. They know all the sure. stats. I mean, you've, you've kind of maximized what you can do on the game. It's, it's, it's a, it's, they've solved it. They've cracked the code and people want to see little changes and things to make the, 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 the game competitive again. I love the so, Mario so Kart 8. nerf some stuff, maybe? I, I, I love the Mario Kart 8 mechanics, but there's got to, at some point, there's got to be a, a shift to a part 9 where handling changes a little bit or something happens because not all the Mario Kart games feel the same. Mm-hmm. Or, you, or you put in new car parts. Basically, you've got to bring the playing field back down to zero. You've got to level it a little bit. Yeah, you've got to level all it right, so Just nerf some things. That's all. Well, sure, you could do, do that. You can do that. Nerf the foam wheels. I don't know what's. I forget what my build is. I think it's like the baby rollers are the ones that people always use because why they're 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 quicker. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a couple ideal builds. I don't really play any of them. Small wheels. You you would go slower though because there's. I'm just doing the doing the. I think it's maybe for handling. For handling. Yeah. Okay, I see. Um, here's one that took a little longer than we thought it would. Um, Stadia is finally, uh, dead. Um, it lasted longer than we thought it would. I think Google realized that they had to put money into it for long enough to make it look like they were attempting to you know, succeed with it. Um, this launched November 19, 2019, so it hasn't even, from, from release to announcement of death, not even three years. Yep, and it'll go until um, the end of the year. I we, think it we all get like a year and a half, I think. Yeah. We, Something I, like that. In terms of guessing, um, we both undershot, so we... Uh, 
What, what is it you have to guess without going over? Well, we didn't go over. We didn't go over. We won with Price's Rice rules. Yeah, I think I think I think we I think I I was less was I less optimistic than you on it. I, I think I gave up? them longer. You so I, I would have I guess won, but it doesn't matter at this point. We both we were both uh, uh, greatly off. Uh. There you go, Ian. Thanks, I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, it looks really good in one way and really bad in another. The big announcement of Google Stadia, the, the, the big news with them closing it down, is that they are refunding all purchases. All Stadia purchases. All hardware? Hardware and games. That's a chunk of cash. Anything that you fucking put into Stadia, you're getting back. Had people known that, they might have uh, <laughs> given it more of a shot. Yeah. Um, and... The but the game developer community is getting fucked over. Um, so there have been Stadia. Uh, famously, Google did some outreach when they were trying to get people to go onto Stadia. It's like what Epic did when they wanted uh, games on the Epic Game Store. Uh, Google was offering, from my understanding, pretty nice development packages to developers to try to you know get some exclusive games or unique games sure. on the Stadia streaming service. Uh, well, they didn't tell the developers any of this, any of this, um, that any of this was going on. And developers had games that were set to come out in the next weeks and months on the system where they were going to, you know, make back, you know, that, that they, they no longer have a way to make the money on the, uh, you know, they're, they're losing money. Um, Joe Blackburn, some of the developers at Stadia, created a development po- platform that empowered us to continue to create and evaluate Destiny 2 from home over the past few years. I'm sure today is rough for a lot of folks. Thanks for helping us make games. Uh, Brandon Sheffield of Necrosoft, my good friend, um, he said, I know everybody is having a great time laughing at this, but Stadia had the best dev revenue of any streaming service, and launching Hyper Gunsport there was going to recoup our dev costs. We were launching there in November, and now we're in a much tougher situation. Um. And then Tom Vian, Tangle Tower was due to launch on Stadia in two days' time, and this article was the first I heard about it shutting down. So, so they definitely fucking dropped the ball uh, in terms of communicating with uh, the people who were truly relying on them. So, okay, so, so is this, is this uh, two different things? Uh, obviously, you're going to be out of revenue because, because the, big, the big news, maybe we, we glossed over this, is that once, once you hit January 19th, you can't do anything anymore. This is gone. It's wiped from the earth. It's a cloud service. No access to to your games you purchase. No access to anything. I don't believe you can even purchase the games anymore right now. It's wiped. Yeah. So that's the big deal. This is, again, a cloud service. There would be no way to play what you had on your Stadia account after this at all. So there, so obviously devs will be out in the lurch if they were relying on some of the revenue. I have no idea what the base is. What's, I don't think they ever released what the user base is of Stadia. Did they? I think Google never released that. I'm not sure um, that they did. Obviously, it's good enough for some of these uh, devs to get some revenue. Obviously, not big enough to keep it going. Um, so it's it's tough. Um, July of last year, there's a note saying that, uh, let's see, it might have been 220,000 total active users last year, uh, potentially. 220,000. That, to me, seems high. Uh, obviously, it's probably been less and less over, over months, but... I would say if you told me that as a as a high point, maybe two hundred twenty thousand, I think it would be maybe half of that. But okay, so there's that. And then obviously, if devs still had agreements for new games coming out, 
maybe that money is no longer available now for the future. Maybe there was stuff set up for next year. So I think there's two things to look at loss of revenue here. Um, so obviously Google should have given them a heads up. I don't know how these decisions are made at Google. They obviously famously there's that was it the Google uh, graveyards. graveyard. Yeah, they they, they kill everything. They kill they, everything. Yeah, it, it's 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 a fucking uh, gigantic corporation umbrella company um, that owns all this stuff, and it seems like there's haphazard decisions being made. I mean, Frank Zafalo was talking about how weird it was when he did the display. Uh, when they launched it, yeah, they were was... hired to do a job and they did it. But like Stadia one, like they the things that they showed off at the Stadia display, the Virtual Boy, Power Glove, Power ET, Glove, Dreamcast, ET and Dreamcast. It's nothing to do oh, with maybe it wasn't the Virtual Boy. Yeah, Power yeah, Glove, ET and Dreamcast it has nothing to do with one another. And Frank in his thread said like it went to committee, it was decided upon. Then a week before it was changed, you and it chose was... to show off three catastrophic failures when announcing your new. Your new game streaming platform? It's insanity. But the point is, is like it's that that decision sounded like a disaster that went to committee. A decision that like in the grand scheme of things has nothing to do to do with the success of your console. Imagine how decisions are made when things actually matter. And that's one of the bad things about this. And that's where I do feel for the devs that that like I don't know what's appropriate. This we have not been in a situation as ever before. No. Where like like, cause even a, a, a like like Steam PC lasts forever, um, PS4, PS5, PS3. You know those are going to be around for at least what ten years. Those those maybe fifteen. Right. Some of the stores. That's a long tail. This is hey, we're closing up shop. This is a disaster. We're bleeding money. While it's weird because everyone knew this was a disaster. Um, people are affected, but it's a disaster nonetheless. I don't know what the appropriate heads up is on this case. Is it a year? Is it a, is it six months? They want to close this up as soon as they possibly can. It's certainly more than this. Oh yes, it, well yes, but like there, there's not a precedent for a situation like this. There just isn't. So you do you do feel for some of the devs here. You do. I, I absolutely uh, do. I mean, it, uh, public facing. It, it's one of those things where they could really have used this as like a. Again, like a goodwill moment, but we live in the modern internet age where you're going to hear about all the devs that got fucked up. If this was the magazine era still, you'd just get an article about Google, you know, refunding everyone. Oh, it was a failed situation. Sure. But it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's got, you know, consumer facing, it's great. Dev facing, it's awful. Like, that's the thing. If you, if, if you announce this even, God, you can, if you announce it a year before, you're killing it earlier because it, it's going to leak out that it's going away and no one's going to buy anything. This is such a weird situation. This is cloud gaming. It shuts off. It's wiped at some point. That's why this is so weird. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, what's, like, what's a scenario where, where this would work? Like, what's, the, what's a good heads up? Okay, a year heads up. Great. It gets leaked out the next day from devs. Hey, Google uh, Stadia is shutting down in a year. Then it's dead. Then it's dead even sooner. Like it, it keeps scroll, it keeps rolling back. That's it's so fucking weird. They should have, but, but obviously they should, they should have seen the writing on the wall sooner, and then said, okay, we got to stop putting in, like we can't promise devs money on their games if we know this is going to be around. That's what they should have done at least, because because the, the server shutting off that's going to happen eventually. It's just when is it going to happen, right? I mean that's just going to happen. So it's a weird situation. Uh, I like this snarky. Uh, tweet here on this PC Gamer uh, article from uh, Adit Doshi. To be fair, Google Stadia would face terrible odds in the past three years, having to deal with a global pandemic forcing people to turn to online entertainment, graphics cards and console shortages creating high demand for alternatives. <laughs> if only they hit the market at a better time. I mean, it was the perfect time for it to come to market. It was, and it's just 
was not going to work. Nope. I hope that I hope that I feel bad. I feel worst of all for that Google Stadia podcast that came after us uh, here and there. Oh yeah, with, with their snarky comments at us. I feel bad for them having to move on to another career. Well, uh, it just reminds me there was that guy. I think he was the guy behind the Best Buy blo- Canada blog. He was like a big Amico. Uh, oh, that he, guy. He had he a said, Stadia tattoo. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. No, he did not. Yes, he does. Google it. Stadia tattoo. He's got it. You'll see it immediately. He got a Stadia fucking tattoo. Is that an unironic tattoo? I, I, I would assume so, yes. It, because he was unironically backing the Amico. You got Yeah, you can see fucking... it right there. It's John Scar. It's John Scar. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Yep. Yep. He's got the tattoo. He got it. What date did he get this? Um, December 13, 2021. So we knew it was dead. I mean, God, it was dead within a year. This so, tattoo's not uh, even a year old. It says December, December 2021. December 12, 2021. This tattoo is not even a year old. Oh my God. My stadium. I'm, I, God, I don't want to dunk on him, but holy shit, you are gargling Google's balls for free, for nothing. Uh, my stadia tattoo. Stadia and the community have made an everlasting. There's a stadia community? I've made an everlasting impact on my life. Never have I been so excited and a firm believer of a platform in the technology. The community is one of the most loving and welcoming, filled with amazing people. Oh, my. Okay. I'm sure there's some nice people you've met talking about Stadia. I'm just trying to. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Never have I felt like really getting a corporate tattoo, but then one for a, a product that's, like, guaranteed to fail oh my and God. was failing at that point in time. I mean, they probably knew it was done. Within a year, they knew it was done. They probably knew it was done by sometime in 2020. Yeah, I feel like they did, um, and they just put money enough money into it to keep it trickling along so they can say they tried. And save face. Just, yeah, and save face. Oh, my Lord. Oh, God. I don't want to say free, freezing cold takes and, and add him, but oh, my Lord. Are people re- re- reporting on this the past couple days? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the tattoo has been brought up. But I, I knew about it ahead of time. Oh, we never. I knew about and this, that. And this is the same person that did those fluffy blowjob Amico Best Buy articles? Yes. I don't understand how some of these people think. I like I like. How do you get so attached to all of these failure projects? I don't understand the mentality. I just don't like. I just. It's like they're aliens to me. People like this. They're like they're like aliens. They think they don't think like us, Ian. I don't. How are they thinking about this stuff? I don't know, man. Oh, okay, my head hurts. This portion of the CU podcast is brought to you by Pixel Frames. Great games make for great memories, and with Pixel Frames, those nostalgic moments can decorate a room, your office, or just about anywhere else with these layered shadow boxes. These shadow boxes provide a unique multi-layer perspective that bring out the character of each scene. Each layer is cut by laser to provide pixel-perfect details, and all frames are officially licensed and bring classic series to the lineup. Use Castlevania, Mega Man, Sonic the Hedgehog, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Tetris and even Battletoads. There's uh, going to be more to come. I got the got the triple tunnel right here from Battletoads. Exactly what you uh, want to immortalize about Battletoads. <laughs> exactly. I got the Contra attacking the Red Falcon head there from the last stage. These are great. Yep, I've got uh, the Shinobi one and the Sonic ones are great. There's a large selection of the Sonic frames. These are made for gaming fans, collectors, and home decor enthusiasts. Pixel Frames is sure to add a bit of nostalgia to any space in your life. Visit the new website at pixel-frames.com and pick yourself up some pixel frames. Mm-hmm. Ian, mm-hmm. we had another um, Heritage Auctions event recently. It actually ended within the past uh, week. 
I think it ended around Thursday, Friday around there. So don't do the eyebrow thing. Again. It freaks me out. It freaks me out. Um, auctioning off sealed graded games. We talk about this. We get attacked by. Have we talked about this. this before. We have talked about this oh, before. Okay. For for about three four years, we've talked about this. It wasn't and and this is an interesting. Slipped my mind. This is an interesting uh, auction because it allows us to look at more of the depressing state that the speculators must be in at this point, because we talked about about a month ago about prices dropping 70%, Sonic the Hedgehog dropping over $100,000, uh, and a bunch of others. Right. So I have, I have a, a folder, Ian, that I made. Yeah, I'm looking for it. it. Where is it? It's in the CEO Podcast folder. It's called um, Water Ripoff. It's right there, where you can look at comparisons of some of these game prices. Ian never finds the stuff, but it's I got there. it. Okay. So we can go through a bunch of these. Uh, you can just sort by maybe even by name if you want. We can, we'll, leave the, we'll leave the big one in the middle for the last. You know what the big one is because it's there. Um, so we're going to go through some of these uh, recent events and compare them to the past. Uh, Castlevania uh, went for, in, in April, a 9.4 sealed went for $72,000. And then it recently... Another 9.4 A+. plus, 33.6. Uh, 33.6. That's September 29th. That's a Pat Math plunge of about uh, 45%, about nearly 50%. Wait, what did it go for? 72 versus 33. So it lost. Oh, I'm sorry. 50%. I'm sorry. It's, like, on, 50, it's, like, on, it's like 57% drop. Jesus, buddy. Well, that's why it's Pat Get Matt. it together. Uh, I wanted to check some NES ones because we didn't talk a huge amount about NES ones last. Yeah, time. we've kind of been focusing on the '64 stuff. How, how about the how about uh, the, the Contra one? There's 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 a there's a timeline here for the Contra one uh, here. So we start at the really expensive Contra. A Contra 9.2A plus sealed went January of last year. This is a long tail. This is a year and a half. Thirty-one point two thousand. Then it went for fifteen point six thousand uh, in August fifth. Oh, you missed you missed oh, the no, April missed one. one. April oh. was twenty one six. So it dropped fifty percent in a year, and then it went for uh, another fifty percent. It went in August from thirty to about fifteen. Right? Do I have that right? And then, then it goes for ten point eight September 29th. So the same exact grade, my uh, my plus or minus a couple pluses, but so it's dropped two thirds, sixty something percent. It's dropped in um, what is that? A year and a half, something like that. It's do wild. I, do I got that right? It's, it's bongo bangers. It's wild. Um, let's go to Ninja Gaiden. There's okay. there's three examples. So on there. Uh, the really expensive was the original. Um, it was July 9th, twenty twenty one. Sister's birthday. Eighteen point six thousand. Eighteen point six. Then January twenty eighth, thirteen point eight. And then it keeps dropping to August 5th. 7.2. 7.2. So already you have it dropping. Uh, that's a drop of 11. That's like 70%. And then from August to September, Ian. 3,120. Another plunge of 50%. More than 50%. That's a 9.6. It doesn't have the plus. They're going to try to argue. It doesn't matter to me. That plus is not worth uh, it dropping $28,000. Uh, excuse me, uh, fifteen thousand uh, dollars. Three, three over eighteen. Ian, what, what is that? That's about. Um, I don't know, fucking know. God, fifteen percent of the value. It's dropped like eighty-five percent, something like that. So it's it's bad. It's bad. Um, I looked up Pokemon. Uh, one more Zelda. 
Uh, Zelda 2. I always forget about Zelda 2. The, the reason I like to look up Zelda 2, Ian, there's a lot more sealed Zelda 2s and Legend of Zeldas. Sure. Um, and, it, and it's one they reissued more, I believe, later on. Um, so Zelda 2, 9.6A plus sealed April 2nd of last year, went for 38400 a Rev A. Not the first release. Oh, it says early production, but I guess I did Rev A sometimes not uh, when it was early production. I don't care. So 38400 April 2nd. And then um, dropped to 10.8 thousand this recent auction. The same exact one. The same exact one. That was it. Okay. 9.6 A plus sealed. Same round seal of quality. That's a loss of about 60 something percent. So all of these are getting destroyed. Uh, Pokemon Red, I looked up, Ian. Game Boy game was probably the biggest Game Boy one that we've seen, I believe, yeah. of these more mm-hmm. than the other. For some reason, there's more reds, I think, than blue and yellows that I've seen come up, but whatever. Because was red the first one that came out? They all came out at the same time. Red, red and blue came out at the same okay. time. So, so we had one in November 20th, 2020 that went for, this was a 9.8 A double plus. I uh, went for 84,000. And then we have, what do we got here? We have a 9.8 A double plus uh, from August 2022, 45. 6,000, so almost 50%, 45,600, so almost a 50% drop-off. It's like 45% drop a $40,000 loss if you're, if you're there. It's yeah, the same yeah with something like that, you um, want to bring up and, the amount of money, not just and the there percentage. Were, and there were other bad Pokemon Reds, but they were like, oh, this is the Rotata versus the Sandshrew one. So people would argue that, well, it's not the same exact one, but there were some bad drops of some of the other ones. It was just hard to line up. You know, versions versus uh, grades, mm-hmm. but they were they were looking bad. Now we get to the Nintendo sixty four stuff. This is the newest console uh, out of all of these that you can talk about. And once you get once we talk about you get the late late nineties, uh, it's so much easier to find these sealed games, in my opinion. Uh, Goldeneye, like our pal Carl Jobs loves Goldeneye. Speed runs it. Um, Nine point two Goldeneye A plus seal. January of this year went for thirty one point two thousand, um, and then August seventh we we didn't think touching this one, the August seventh one it it dropped to fourteen point four, it dropped over fifty percent. Oh, we didn't bring that up. I think we brought that up last month. That's that's a that's a bad one. Yeah. But what's the worst one? Mario Kart. So we'll start at the. Uh... Do, you want, do you want to start with what it just went for instead? <laughs> what it just went for. Sure, let's do that. That's that's more fun. Uh, okay, nine point six A plus September twenty ninth, twenty twenty two, thirty one thousand two hundred. Well, that's still insane to someone like me. Nine point six A plus plus, so one plus difference, right? Okay. April twenty second, two thousand twenty two, one hundred and forty four thousand dollars. It went from one forty four to thirty one in what amount of time? four months however if you want to and people will be that way if you want to you know just keep it with one plus we can also point out that august 9th or august 5th 2022 the exact same grade as the one that we just mentioned that sold for 31 went for forty-eight thousand. so even if you just leave it to the 9.6 a plus in 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 just under two months, it lost $17,000 worth of value. Or and about if, a third. 
about a third. And if you want to include the second A plus oh, plus, people will argue that. it, but go for it. A uh, hundred. I mean, it's just that that's a that's a catastrophic crash that's of a, a, to a price. An A plus plus to an A plus to me is a, a very minor difference in a grade. We're, to, we're talking about that's a seal quality. It's the sure. same grade of the box. That drops $113,000 in five months. That person's going to have to hope that that extra plus is really worth it to someone because someone just only spent 31000 for just an A+. plus. So at that point, uh, that's to me close to the, how bad the Sonic drop was. That's the big loser here. Yeah. Of this round. So, like we said before, this is not a, this is not a mere correction. The, the speculators are going to say this is normal. Things are overpriced. But we have evidence, Ian, that they are not only starting to panic these speculators. They, They're starting to say the quiet parts out loud about this hobby. Yes. That's the problem. So, um, on Instagram, good old Instagram. This is the most hilarious shit to me. I got to log into my Instagram uh, on a post from uh, who's the post by from minus underscore worlds who actually that's actually a name I recognize from back in the day on a Nintendo age. It actually is mm. actually is. So basically they're commenting on the sale of the Mario Kart 64, the 9.6 a plus that we just mentioned that ended on um, September 29th for the $31,200. And this is what they say. This was just silly. I have no other way to put it. This game is rare in near this game is rare in near mint copies. There are only 17 copies graded 9.0 or higher in the first print. To compare that to some of the other N64 heavy hitters, Super Smash Brothers has 35, GoldenEye 28, Super Mario 64 has 28, Ocarina of Time 66, Ocarina of Time uh, Ocarina of Time Collector's Edition 66, Ocarina of Time Normal 28. And just like I predicted, they all massively underperformed. At some point, the auction house has to say no. No, they don't. They, 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 I mean, what kind of delusional headspace are you in where you think the auction house gives a fuck about you and your collectibles? They are in it to make money. They, they will make the money while they can. If they think that this is going to keep crashing, why wouldn't they just keep selling now? They get the higher uh, buyer's premium. Um, this made no sense. Three of the 17 nice copies in one auction and six in the last year and a seventh coming up next month too. They're upset because this is exposing everything. Yeah, I got to look at my phone. My, my, my browser's not working here. I'm going to go through this. So these speculators who claimed this was all on the up and up, and it was just Ian, it was the free market before acting normally, raising prices, they are bitching at the free market now responding to the dump that this is from the pump, and they're complaining about it. They're complaining. They are, they are it's, it's the angry tweet. at the auction house. It's the, ha-ha, I love sewing. Oh, reaping sucks. Yeah, like, yes. of course. This is, I mean, you can't ask for it both both ways. Yes. They're complaining that these are coming out too often for their liking. That's what they're complaining about. Well, why don't you just buy it then? If you think it's too low, why don't you buy another one then? If you think it's a discount, why don't you put your money in? Because that's not how this works. This person here is, is a little bit... Had screwed on a little bit tighter. Fletchro, retro. Yeah, I feel uh, Heritage dropped the ball for their customers on this one. Big fat L here for sure. But I agree with what others are saying. Shit is being dumped. What is you know Heritage Auctions going to do with all the dumped inventory? They sell it. 
They want to make money. Yeah, they make money. They do not and, care about your hurt feelings and in, in, in the, in the money that you've, you've lost on this. Unless you're not. Uh, if, if, if they really did listen to you and slow down, that would be colluding. That would be more colluding, which we think is yes. might be happening already. Remember, we haven't had a high. You can't do that. You can't, like, manipulate the You can't. Uh, we still haven't had a Super Mario 64 in a high-grade B, B auction all this year, yeah. a 9.6 or a 9.8. Uh, so that's weird in and of itself. I'm going to go in order here, Ian, best I can. Uh, VVG Club, uh, or people need to realize that we are in a bear market and the speculators have left the scene. Time to hold rare games for a bit and not sell. VG, VBG Club is uh, Eric Nyerman, the dentist that we speak about. You are one of the speculators. Yes. That's why you got into this. That's why you raised a million dollars while with your friends and pals to buy this shit. Because you thought it was going to go to the moon. Yeah. You're the people that are now worried about this. The, the collectors who actually uh, cared about this stuff, they would welcome these prices going down. They wouldn't be bitching about them on Instagram. Yeah. Um. And then uh, Minus Rose responded to him saying, uh, sarcastically, great point, but don't worry, bud. We have another 9.6 A-plus coming up next month. They realize that, oh, no. Oh, no. We're in trouble. Mm-hmm. We're in trouble. Um, the dentist says, people need to recognize that although these games are awesome and rare, the hundreds of speculators that were bidding on these uh, just to make money are gone. We are back to the hundreds of rare games b- being bid on by the hundreds of existing collectors uh, left. I don't know how that math works out. Uh, rarity only uh, begets high prices when the supply way outweighs the demand. We aren't there quite yet, but we will soon. Uh, I mean, that's just to basically say that uh, we're in trouble because the speculators uh, are losing their asses and they're trying to get out. That, that's what it is. But if it wasn't for the speculators, uh, Eric, you, you wouldn't have a, an equity gain on most of the shit you're holding. They don't realize. They don't want to recognize that. You can't blame speculators for getting out or people that are scared when that's the reason the price is inflated uh, ridiculously in the first place on them like it's it's to see to see the the logic these people try to uh maintain is nuts yeah it's nuts yeah i mean basically when they see it collapsing they start talking like it's just it's an asset uh the market is extremely this is from someone named carl the market is extremely soft to boot right now, you got to keep that in mind. Recession and bad economy, and it's only going to get worse, I'm afraid. Still, an N64 game getting 20K isn't anything to scoff at over unless you overpaid from Heritage in 2021. Pretty decent points there. I will say, though, that uh, a bunch of uh, fake money getting pumped into the, the economy the past couple of years is one of the reasons why a lot of these collectibles went up. Not sure. just this, Pokemon cards, yeah. uh, NFTs, and no, crypto. Absolutely. That's, part, that's part of the ride. Um, Green Hair Game says, in principle, I agree that three meaning three of these Mario 64 uh, cards, 64s, should not be stacked on top of each other. In this specific instance, I do not think that this is the worst example of an undercopy or two performing I do poorly. not understand these new terms. <laughs> They're trying to make new terms up. I can remember much, much crazier examples where a second lower-graded copy bombed and the higher-graded uh, first. Yeah. Um, people talk about fluctuations happening before. Um, this is not a fluctuation. When these prices are dropping 50 to 70%, that's not a fluctuation. A fluctuation to me would be something dropping 15, 20%, coming back over that amount and like regressing to a mean. That's a fluctuation. When stuff is dropping 70% or more, that's not a fluctuation. Unless you told me these prices are going to come back in the next couple months, it's not a fluctuation. Uh, Joan Bone, that's another uh, OG or collector from Nintendo Age, I recognize. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of people who want out of video games, it seems. Poor placement, but if people are lining up to dump, then you can't blame the auction house for taking them on. 
Having said that, probably the worst placement of significant titles I've seen thus far. So Joan Bowen makes a great point. I don't understand why the place would matter if this stuff is coveted. Who cares? Right. You're just, you're just basically um, shining a light in the fact that there's not a huge amount of people that are buying these. If right. They ha- if they have to be spaced out that much. If they have to be spaced out and you're losing money like that, there's not a whole lot going on. If it was truly worth what it says it is, it would sell for that price. Uh, Minus Rolls responded, I do see your point, but it's also in the auction house's best interest to say no to something like this. What? They get less of a cut across three big auctions and end up with disappointed sellers. But you have happier people buying it if it's all about the collecting them. Like, and they get they get a, a bunch of each. So that so the gambit that someone like Minus Rolls thinking is that don't put out these games, pretend nothing's happening, and then six months or a year from now, you're going to get a larger return. Heritage Auctions doesn't fucking care. They want their money now because they've seen probably markets like this before come and go. Yes, and Heritage Auctions isn't a small mom-and-pop business. I mean, it's just a pipeline of cash. Jim Jupiter with one of the best responses in this thread, uh, responding to Minus Worlds. But why? I guess why hold things off? It was hyperinflated for three years thanks to WADA slash Heritage and resellers looking to maximize profits. So now things are slowly going back to normal, making the hobby, in quotes, actually a hobby again and more affordable too. That's what we were saying. If you really cared about it as a hobby, you wouldn't care about these prices crashing. You can buy more of them right. at, at lower risk. And shouldn't that be what you want to do if you're, in, 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 if, you're, if you're so certain that the value is going to go back up? Jim Jupiter is repeating stuff we says. Well, this is not my alt account. I don't think these games are worth five and six figures, judging from the decrease in right. prices. After the comic dealers and Rally Otis pulled out, and after everything of value was flipped several times and ran out of next greater fool buyers, crypto is down, and the IT magnets can't buy all those Marios. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's happening. Fresh blood came in, like we said. There's no one there. To, there's no one left to throw ridiculous amounts of money at it. So we're starting to see what this might, what people might consider this. Sure. The value, what, what value they might consider this at. Like this is the prices we're getting now. Sure. Uh, just talk more about hyperinflation. Jim Juper, very smart, knows what they're talking about um, about the uh, things in, in this thread. Uh, and of course, he's getting pawed. Like, oh, if you don't, you just say you don't care about video games, man. It's like, dude. Relax. We know you're on the hook for a, a lot of monies. Yeah. Uh, what was the thing? Going back to it, uh, the initial comment, this is just so silly, blah, blah, blah. This game is rare in near mint copies. There are only 17 copies graded 9.0 or higher. Well, I, sure. But that doesn't mean that they have to be worth a set amount. They, correct. Like, what, is that, what does that mean? That and doesn't and, mean anything. And, and that doesn't count the, the copies that aren't graded. Right. That doesn't count the ones that haven't been graded yet or the ones that water are sitting on or see, CGC. You almost see the light switch turning on yes. and being like, oh, I overpaid. Sure. Just because that's what you paid for it doesn't mean that's what it's going to be worth forever. Sure. doesn't matter if there's only 19. If no one cares about it, if no one ends up caring about it, then the price is going to keep going down. Uh, someone named uh, Fletcher Retro said, I feel Heritage dropped the ball for their customers on this one. Big I, fat, I, I, big I fat L. Well, that's one. one you brought up? Yeah. But but it gets better. The, the but customers they, are the people buying. Yes, as well. Like it's both. It's not just the sellers. It's the bo- it's people buying. The them. second half of their comment though is is fairly. That's the one I brought up. It's fairly reasonable. Big fat L to you because you're 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 right. you have a bunch of equity tied up that's losing money, uh, week by week. There's a few more here. I wish the freaking browser worked on this. Um, Gamer Collector Two said, "Sorry, but I'm not sure I understand your logic. Say no to what? If there's no reserve, they can't say no." It's sold based on bids. They have to sell it for whatever price that ends up yeah. as, as if there's no reserve. Some seems people just aren't into buying the big hype anymore. Great. Thank you, Gamer yeah. Collector 2. The hype is gone. 
too bad. You can't you can't demand the hype to come back. Exactly. It's ridiculous. Um, it's actually yeah. I'm, they're just like you said. They're exposing themselves publicly like this. You see the infighting, and they're blaming an auction house. Yep. They're blaming an auction house for who helped them get to the point they were at the past few years with these prices. It's it's insane. Yeah. So there you go. And it's just going to get, in my opinion, worse and worse. Yep. I don't think they're coming back. I, I'm trying to think, uh, Ian, of a market where it was obviously a pump and dump or or some sort of like glorified greater fool theory or once it just deflated like beanie babies it eventually came back to its the same heights afterwards i'm trying to think was there everything something like that i guess you can say sports cards now some sports cards yes that's what i was going to say it's an entirely different generation and it's different cards it's 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 not the same cards that are being bought and sold correct and even um, like even up to right before the pandemic um, you know, Vani's business was selling boxes of these old cards for five, ten bucks. Like, sure. because my friends, because yeah. my friends were buying them and they were opening them, and yeah, you could occasionally find like a decent card or something in there. But this shit was worthless until the pandemic hit again. Sure. So, you know, I think I don't. I think you know, sports cards have been kind of on the rise again. You know, over the past decade, but it was really the pandemic again that you know, uh, injected a lot of cash into it. And then it's, but it's the newer stuff. It's the chase cards of the, of the new stuff versus right. like, I mean, are people going out and buying 1991 pro set football cards? No, there's very, very little in or, the old, in the old sets that people are looking for right now. It's yes. So some so, things, but very little. So I mean like stuff that like, like and it's time and place, like pogs from the nineties. Once that was gone, will that ever come back? Beanie Babies never came back. That's what I mean. So, like, even I, the overpumped comics markets, like the '90s, like that stuff never really just magically became worth anything. Oh no, they're worthless. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'll look up. I'll look up. Good point. I'll look up like uh, Rye Number Three right now. That was one of those ones that was like tough to find uh, from Valiant that my cousin put on his wall. Put on his wall to brag to me about it. Um, Rye Number Three and Four, the rare ones that were low print run that were probably worth hundreds then. Buy it now, both for $27. Stuff like that. He, he, he would, I'm not going to get on my cousin, but he would make fun of me for trying to, wanting to buy this stuff from the 60s and 70s and stuff that was like actually people liked for sure. one period of time. Oh, this is the stuff. It's, it's Rye 3 and 4. It's a hot comic now. These they didn't make a lot of because no one cared about Rye. No one gives a shit. I don't even um, know who Rye is. You know who Rye is? No. Okay. Rye was one of the big Valiant, uh, like Samurai guys. Uh, for there, but okay. anyway, yeah, I see him. A little red dot on his chest. There was a couple different versions, anyway. So I guess we're going to see more infighting in the future, Ian. And I wonder this is this is going to be the fun part. This is where it's really going to get juicy when they figure out one of their own starts to dump all their stuff. Oh yeah, when they figure out there's someone because uh, it's gonna it's gonna get to the point where one of them's gonna be like, hey, I don't want to keep losing equity. I gotta I gotta get out now. They're gonna know who's selling what. And they're all going to turn against each other. There's going to be someone in that in that group that is the least financially set, and then they're going to start to look at this as an albatross, and they've got to fucking sell it off. Yes, but they're going to pump. They're, they're not going to tell anyone though. No, because 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 these are all people that care about money. But people will um, find out. Yes, money is money is what drives this. Again, so people are going to find out, and it's going to be fireworks. So maybe we'll just uh, sneak in some Instagram conversation in the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Ian, we got a Patreon, don't we? Patreon.com slash C podcast to go. I'll take a look at what we offer you. We offer you stuff. Uh, we do. You get the full video podcast. You get uh, pretty much 
weekly writings, uh, hangouts. We got to schedule our hangout this month. Uh, we do. You can get access to the bonus bits. We have a pin club. Pin club. Uh, so yeah. much, so much you can so do. So much fun at the CU Podcast Patreon. So check it out and give us some support. So here's the Patreon poll that you voted on this week. In second place, is grading or reselling worse for video game collecting? Twenty nine percent. In first place, what could modern games learn from classic slash retro games? Ian, what could the modern games in general learn from the games of yesteryear so my problem with modern games big modern games is they feel what, what type of games huh big 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 uh <laughs> they feel incredibly bloated to me um there's always you know uh, very lengthy hand-holding uh you know tutorials um I feel like a lot of the side quest stuff is just padding. You know, you're doing the same shit over and over again. Uh, I really prefer a leaner, meaner game. Now, some of this is preference, clearly. Uh, There are some people who love open world games, and I, I get it. They just, they, I can't focus on them. But I do think something could be said about streamlining uh, the, the, the tutorial process. There's got to be something between the, you know, 8-bit fucking figure it out and this, you know, modern PlayStation 5 era stuff, you know, PS4 era, where, you know, your tutorials are taking an hour to an hour and a half. An hour and a half tutorial? For some games, yeah. What? Like, I was playing... How much time do you think adults have? Like, I was playing Dying Light on the PS4, uh, you know, a, a while back, and it was just like, it was a slog. It was a slog. I never got past the tutorial because I just, I wanted to fucking play. And it's like, go do this and talk to this character. Now go do this and talk to this character. And like, each time you do something, they're like introducing like a little new mechanic. It's like, why don't you just do it naturally? And the game design of the, of the, of the levels. I mean, I guess it was supposed to feel natural, but like, I just, too many of them drag you through every single aspect of the game when it's like how about you just teach me about this when i approach it actually there's a lot of jrpgs that are good about that where they'll just give you the basics up front and then like as you get into more advanced mechanics they'll be like okay now here's another little tutorial instead of trying to do it all as you as you get to it um yeah but i i would also like uh more linear games i don't play a lot of triple a stuff because i don't love open world games i would i i feel like you know it's it's the old saying it's a it's a mile wide pool but it's a fucking inch deep i would rather have more focus on like a a clean uh well a clean focus single player game i I haven't played it yet and i should but the god of war game is actually the 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 recent like re like the the what's the word i'm looking for not reimagining um like a reboot the reboot of god of war Everyone, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, this game's like linear. It's not open world. And that was strange to them. And for me, I think that's good. I think there, there, there is plenty of room. Were any of them open world? No. God of War? Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, there's plenty of room for focused single player games alongside um, open world stuff. And I wish there was just a little bit more variety like there used to be. When, when do you think that turned? When did that change where like... You seem like the AAA game was leaning more. I think. Into I like, think. Oh. I think Xbox One, PlayStation Four. So was past, really when it happened. Past several years. You started seeing right. that happening in um, the 360 uh, PS3 era. I think that's Gen Seven. Uh, but it was by by the time PS4 and, and, and Xbox One were 
the the current systems, that's really when everything just seemed to kind of go to open world. Was it, you think that was in part in, in part due to like the success of like GTA Five and like Red Dead Two? Oh, absolutely. The success of um, the success of Grand Theft Auto uh, Three on the PlayStation Two was like, I mean, from that point on, you could see people trying to work every game into an open world framework. Or even back then, twenty years ago. Yeah, or even if it's a more uh, linear game or a more straightforward game, like uh, Yakuza is not nearly as like big of a in scope as something like Grand Theft Auto. But it was still, you know, you walk around a town and there's little things you can see, and like that's fine. But I just I don't think every game needs to do that. Just like when RPGs got big in the PlayStation era, every game started to try adding like little RPG elements to it. You don't need that in every game. Everything starts to feel the fucking same. I think that's that's maybe their um, it's their ploy. Some of these devs, where it's like, wow, we make this open world that automatically mean, automatically means there's a lot more content right. for people to buy, it. and that's not always the case. No, especially because um, like people don't, not everyone engages with all the content. Like so the, if you put way too much time into something that no one's touching, the game still feels half baked. Like if this Sonic game comes out that's open world, but you have like very little justification for running around besides running around, I mean, is that better than a traditional linear Sonic game? Sure. Like that—that's the question. Um, something like Zelda, at least, was inherently open world, so it made sense for them to be, have open world games. Uh, that's how they are. But for some of these properties, it might not make sense. And why not just tell a good story? Right. Is that is that become more difficult? Maybe just to tell a good story. Are we not valuing writers as much uh, to like have a coherent, cogent story with like nice characters that have story, like arcs to them, and like dramatic uh, tensions that happen? Like, is that something we're like shying away from, or no? Uh, I I don't know. I don't play enough of that this stuff to know. Like, if there's a big difference in the triple uh, triple A open world versus a linear game like this, I don't know. But um, that's a good point. Um, I was going to talk about. Um, tutorials versus um getting your feet wet on game mechanics sure i was going to talk about that uh, f- famously the first stage of super mario brothers is like a master class in, in design because it it introduces things to you in a very um very uh set way as you go through you get the one goomba at first uh, oh yeah um you get you get a block then you get a mushroom it, it like like you get the. You realize you can't hit a brick first until you get a mushroom. There's. It's set out in such a way that it logically it makes teaches sense. you everything. Yeah. It teaches you as you go. You get the star later when you when you have more enemies in a row coming, and that's where the star shows up. Uh, you know, it, it it really holds your hand uh, for that first well, stage. It it doesn't though. You never well, know that you're playing a tutorial. No, but looking back, it's it's really. Sure. I, I just when I say hand holding, I mean something completely different. I guess. Okay. I, I mean like it. It doesn't throw you to the wolves that first stage. No. Like when you're four years no, old. No, absolutely. Old, you, you it can, doesn't. You can you can beat that first stage. Hand holding. Uh, I just mean like over the top, heavy handed tutorials. Like press A, do this. Oh, I, like, I see. Yeah. Go to here and talk to this person, and this what's this is what happens. Right. Um. Obviously, what you can also learn from retro games is that. Going a little bit to the point, uh, shorter might be better. Brevity uh, could be great. That was something I uh, wanted to say, too. I, um, like, rain some of this shit in. I don't need a 100-hour game. Yes. And you'll Ob- keep your budget smaller, too. I mean, obviously, looking back in the 80s, 
you started from the arcade experience where you're lucky to play for more than five minutes mm-hmm. before you lost your quarter. And then NES games are anywhere from 15, 20 minutes to a couple hours. You know, Legend of Zelda you can beat in a couple hours if you're good at it. So you had this little range. And then it exploded sometime, you know, once you got, I think, say, past the, the ni- into the 90s. The game length in general started going up on this stuff where you got to, like, nine hours, ten hours, twenty hours. Maybe there was also the rise of, like, JRPGs. But even – I don't think those were probably as bad as the games. I mean, like – No, like, I, if, I, uh, if I had to – I think, like, Final Fantasy VI, probably 35, 40 hours. So that's know. where it kind of exploded? Yeah, but even that's, like, smaller than what they are now. Like, every RPG these days is, like, you know, has to be a 50-hour fucking masterpiece. Well, you said 35 is still pretty long. It is, but it's shorter than what I'm saying. It's shorter okay. than what, what came after. Really? 35 hours of Final Fantasy seven? No, not seven. Uh, six. Okay, six. Yeah, okay. Final Fantasy seven. I think, took me about 45, 50 my first time through. So that, to me, would be, like, my cutoff, personally, for, like, what's a reasonable sure. time I want to put into a game, just based upon what I have going on. Obviously, there's people that gaming is their main hobby and only hobby, so I, I get that. I'm not trying to put that down. But if you tell me, like, it's going to take you 200 hours to get through this game or 250, I will never play that game. No. I, like, I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know what I'm comfortable stopping then i would i would think to myself ian well ian i put 75 hours into this game was that a fucking waste of time since i never have more time to get into it i wouldn't bother to start it i would i would be afraid to personally that so that's the thing about uh brevity um do you think they can you think controls can be simplified at all at this point or is it too late to sort of like try to simplify any control scheme. I think that just depends on the game. I find like a lot of games you know aren't using all of the buttons on a controller i think that's really just I think there are games that call for complex controls and there are games that don't. And I feel like developers, good game developers, if it's a good game, whether anyone, you know, outright calls it out or not, it's partially due to good controls. Sure. I, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't. I, I because of how complex some games have gotten, you can't just go back to obviously like a D pad and two buttons. Um, there are some games that have worse controls, but I don't think that's necessarily something you learn from the past and bring to the present. Sure, it's tough. I mean, going back to something like Breath of the Wild, that's a pretty complex control scheme, especially compared to you know the Zelda games of yesteryear. Sure, it uses almost every single button on the on the on the on the Switch. Yeah, um, but I mean that's that's evolution. I don't evolution. Think, I don't think there's a whole lot of you know. Yeah, I just don't think there's a whole lot of simplification you can do. You can't because you have to like draw back the the bow and, and aim, and then yeah. you, you're you jumping can get around, developers that are really good at their yeah, controls, and you can refine them. But I don't think you can really oversimplify these controls these days. No, you can't do that. Um, I, obviously, we we talk about this every year. I would love for real manuals to make a return. I think they're just nice to have a manual. I think it's nice. I think it's nice to be able to read something separately outside the game. I don't want to have to learn about the game by turning it on. Oh, I bring this up anytime uh, something comes in. I would love the return of manuals. Give me give me eight pages. Can you give me eight pages? Control, story, controls, basic layout, modes. Give me eight to ten pages. I, you don't need a 50-page manual. Give me give me ten pages. I think I think that'd be nice. I think it'd be nice. I can study while I'm eating food or watching, you know, watching something. So I go, oh, look how nice. Because because I think there's something to be said for learning a little bit more about a game versus uh, 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 over a, a period of time versus being forced to fucking swallow all the information at once. Maybe that's what it is too. Yeah. yeah. I got to I got to learn by learning. I got to turn on the game and play it to learn about it, and then play it. It's like it's like it's like fucking cramming for a test. Let me read a manual on the ride home yes. while taking a shit. Yes, thank you. I would be reading again. 
have a stack of manuals next to the toilet. And there you go. They, I, we honestly, we sound like old men. We liked to read. I read the manual front to back before I played every NES game I ever Print had. reference guides cannot um, be beaten by a phone or the internet. You no. need to be able to flip pages and look back yes. and forth. It's quicker. It's better. Physical books have not died no out. No loading. For, physical books have no not ads. died out for a, le- for a reason. Yeah. Right? No read. No ads. No ads. No ads. There might be an ad in the manual just for like, hey, buy this. Buy WrestleMania coming out also from a sure. claim. But it's not yeah. like half my fucking phone screen is no, like no, trying no. to find one location. You're not turning the page in a, in a fucking pop-up and, and no pop-up ads in print. That's, that's the good news. Yes. No pop-up ads in certain guidebooks at all. So, all right. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's uh, there's something to be said for that. The controls thing, I would love to... The control things might just be going back to making sure that this, the, the experience is simplified. Just because you have a next-gen system doesn't mean the entire experience has to be next-gen. You can still it's like something like Untitled Goose Game, for example. It's still a pretty simple game, right? Oh, yeah. Very simple. It's just clever. Yep. So, so you don't always have to use everything available to you to make a good modern game. Maybe that's, that's what, you know, maybe that's, that's what the lesson is. You zoned out on me? I'm fucking hot. You're hot? I have it on level two, the fan. It's not your fault. I'm a, I'm a roasty, toasty boy. You're roasting like that Costco chicken. Yeah, I'm roasting like that fucking that, linebacker chicken. Yeah, on, on fucking uh, chicken growth hormones, CGH. Chicken roids. This portion of the CU podcast is brought to you by True Classic. Finding the perfect fitting t-shirt can get frustrating. It can be too tight around your gut or just big and boxy. True Classic wants to make it easy to look good and feel good. So their high quality and pocket friendly menswear is made with every man in mind. It's a True Classic way. So guys, no excuses. It's time to upgrade. In fact, over 2 million men already have, and they look really good. We have an exclusive deal for our audience to hook you up with some True Classic. For a limited time, get 25% off with the code CU Podcast at trueclassic.com. Almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on a certain body type. Think skinny models with six packs. But most of us aren't packing anything down but a few beers. And that's okay. Uh, guys, it's simple. You're wearing the wrong clothes. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. You can wear a True Classic with confidence. They're tailor-made to highlight your best assets. Not only are you finally getting a t-shirt designed for your body, but the first thing you'll notice is how soft it is. These are super soft. I really enjoy how these feel on me. <laughs> Get ready to clean out your closet. You won't be able to go back to those cheap materials once you try these. True Classic doesn't just stop at tees. They're your one-stop shop for all sorts of men's essentials, from polos and workout shirts to comfortable boxers. All of the gear is top-notch quality and at reasonable prices. They have a great pack builder on their website where you can custom bundle all of their essential products and save even more than the discount we're offering you today. And for any of the big boys out there, they have long body options for the tall guys and have triple XL on all of their staple colors. True Classic will make you feel your best. Whether you have abs or flabs, their clothes look great on all body types. Skinny dudes, big dudes, buff dudes, True Classic has you covered. It's time to get comfortable and get going. Upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with code CUPODCAST. Free shipping is included on purchases over $100. 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day return policy. Stay classy with True Classic. All right. Uh, we got uh, voicemails. You go to anchor.fm slash the podcast. Leave us a voice message. Uh, we will appreciate it. If you leave it to under... Uh, about 20 seconds. I will love you a lot. It would be very fantastic for that to happen. Here's the first one. 
Hey, Pat. Hey, Ian. This is Greg calling in from St. Petersburg, Florida. And I was just wondering if Tommy Tallarico or Phil Adams offered to come on the show if you would take them up on it. Hope you guys have a good one, and thanks for the content. Like a one-on-one or just like, hey, just like call in, Tommy, and talk about what a disaster is. First of all, it wouldn't happen because we would be critical. So, like, that's why it would never happen. Yeah, um, in, in, in a at this point, if it was like – and it never would be is the problem. But if it was in good faith – Mm-hmm. maybe but the reason why we never had them on earlier and, and we could have um is because we did not want to be used as a vehicle for him to just talk over people and talk about how great and everything was yes. in Miko land it, it's you can't have someone on to promote something that is years away and then say oh this is going to be great and then if we ask critical questions well we're too far out for that like that's what would have happened yeah. Like it would have been, well, you guys don't have the information. So we'd have to like, tr- first of all, trust the person's being truthful. We know the person is a pathological liar. Uh, we knew that we knew that years ago, but we know that for sure. Now everyone knows that. So there would be a no win for us to interview someone while it was happening. Plus, because we always come from the consumer side anyway, right. we always look at what is being presented to the consumer. And it wasn't our responsibility to let uh, Tommy correct things or clear the air. As I have I said numerous times during the earlier to mid portions of the Amico stuff, uh, if Tommy wants us to stop saying things that are wrong, then Tommy's got to make sure the information that's getting out there is not yes. wrong. I, used, I, I remember earlier on. Everything we said came from publicly available interviews with him, publicly available media, stuff that he was website. saying out in the public. So if he had a problem with that, the problem was not us. The problem was he never got, he, he said way too fucking much the, and then blamed it on us when his words came back to haunt him. They, they never, ever, ever should have had him as the mouthpiece of this thing. You know what people don't talk about that was very important, I believe, early on that I pointed out? Just how amateurish and how unprofessional the website was early on before they revamped it. I can guarantee you Tommy did the website himself. Oh, absolutely. And so when I when he came at me on Twitter, we're talking like 2019. Uh, he he would come after me, and be like, "Hey, Pat, you know, like that stuff. What you're saying, you don't have the information." I said, "Tommy, I went to your website. What you're saying on Twitter right now is not on the website. That was the 1.0 website, right? The shitty website that I that I think embarrassed him because he never came back to me to say it was a nice website because the website looked like it was designed uh, 20 years ago. Um, very important because I then I realized that he doesn't have a team helping him." communicate and he doesn't have even someone working on the fucking website for this huge venture i know we gotta move on <laughs> hey guys pat from cape may new jersey jersey and pat uh, i'm gonna give my condolences to ian oh. and well really the rest of buffalo and all of new york really what? on the loss of every time i die aka the best band on the planet uh, if you don't know who every time i die is they describe their music sound as a cross between a high school kegger and a Buffalo Bills tailgating party. <laughs> uh, love the show. Keep it up. I, I do know of every time I die. Um, I, I don't know what you mean the loss of, though. Did they move? Did they break up? I have not kept up on Buffalo uh, in the ways I should have. Hey, Ian and Pat. Joel from Australia. It's been a while. I was just curious if you've seen the skate still working on it trailer uh, that EA released back in July. And just after your thoughts, it's getting a lot of big, big praise saying that it's genuine and honest and straightforward. But as a software engineer, I know what it's like when somebody tries to sell something that you're still working on and how much pain that can cause in the long run. Um, I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts and how games are now uh, trending towards showing games way too early just to drum up hype. Thank you. 
Yeah, I so I haven't seen that trailer. I I did enjoy the first two skate games. Um, I'd probably play a, a new one. Um, so I can't comment on the trailer, but I we've talked. I mean, a, a perfect recent example of of people have got to stop showing games too early is the uh, Sonic Frontiers thing. Like once the trailer, like the actual trailer came out with mm-hmm. like. Uh, more gameplay and stuff like that like the the officially produced trailer the game looked pretty good there was zero zero fucking reason for uh sega and ign to do that like week-long fucking you know info dump of them playing like the early builds that looked like shit there was there was it did far more harm uh than good and while we never saw anything other than just the words come up uh, for metroid prime 4 that's another example like and Nintendo, you know, I think is learning from their mistakes. I think Nintendo's actually been the best about it as far as a modern company has been in that they really don't show too much of anything anymore until the games maybe at latest, like if it's a big game like Zelda, mm-hmm. sure, they'll tease it. But I think most times they, they show stuff. They show stuff for games that are coming out in six months. Yeah. Or sometimes sooner. Odyssey was like three months. Hey, Pat and Ian, this is Donald from Minneapolis. Hey, you guys were recently talking about Action 52, which made me re-watch the Nerd episode. And he talked about how the suggested retail price was $200. It's on the box. So I have to wonder, okay. did any store actually sell this for $200? I can't imagine uh, Toys R Us would stock any Nintendo game for that price. Did anybody uh, ever actually pay Two hundred dollars for this game. Was it? I thought it was actually. I thought it was two ninety nine. Thanks. Let me, let me find the box. Um, that, that's a good question. The problem. The problem with with Action Fifty Two is that it's such a weird. Um, yeah, suggested retails one ninety nine ninety nine. Oh, okay. It's such a weird story in general. How you know you had college kids make it for almost nothing. You had this guy put this together. It's. I would think the one ninety nine was almost a way to sell it by saying. Hey, the suggested retail is one ninety nine. We can sell it I'm for a hundred. I'm going to wholesale it to you for like forty bucks or whatever, yeah. or fifty bucks, and you sell like I said for a hundred. I think there's something to be said for that because obviously no one two hundred dollars in nineteen what was this nineteen ninety one or so. No one two hundred dollars is a ton of money back then. That's what a game console cost. Yeah. So you'd have a lot of pissed off people. I don't know. I four hundred thirty four dollars. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I have a feeling that this probably was peddled around Florida. Um. I think it was mostly stores. probably sold out of mom and pop shops, and or maybe it was a consignment thing. I would I don't know anything about like I don't know anything about this uh, in terms of how this was sold. We're talking, you know, they did not make many of these at all. They probably made God. Did they make even a couple of thousand of these? You know, who knows? Uh, but um, it's a good that's a good story. I'd love to know. Like uh, I know they interviewed a couple of people that worked on the games. Who you know these they were college kids now, just about our teenagers now. They're probably they're our age that worked on the game, basically. I'd love to know the story about that. Maybe someone point me into an article that came up. I, I didn't. I never saw that. Hey guys, Justin here from Hermosa Beach. Love you guys. Uh, just watched your top twenty-five SNES games reviews, and I know uh, obviously everybody has their own opinions, but it'd be kind of fun to see you two rattle off your top twenty-five SNES games. As fast as you can, no ranking involved. Just what comes right off the top of your head that you can throw out there. Okay, uh, God, Act Razor, uh, M- uh, NBA Hang Time, uh, S- Super Mario World, 
Uh, Uniracers, Tiny Tunes. It's not a system. Techno I Super Bowl. Love. <laughs> um, it's tough to put me on the spot. Super Mario Tro- World. Chrono Trigger. Super Mario Kart. There you go. Final Fantasy Three. Yeah, uh, there you go. I, uh, I like time tracks because it's based on time tracks. That's, that's one of my sure. favorite ones. We're missing out a lot. Get a certain Super Nintendo guidebook over my right shoulder uh, to learn more about that library there. Hey, guys. Love the show. Hi. You always said that nostalgia kicks in between the ages of 35 to 45. Oh, no, earlier. Oh, no. We said it was earlier. Oh, much earlier. In your 20s. It kicks in. That's when it kicked in for me. What and... does nostalgia? Oh, uh, yeah. I would say you're. Early. I would say I started to feel it in my late teens because yeah. that's why I started buying NES yeah. games. Like, oh no, yeah. For me, I would yeah. say honestly, I'd say between in general around twenty to twenty five is like I think when most people probably feel it. For, for me, it was yeah, it was like the late teens. Between the ages of thirty five to forty five ish, and we saw that ten years ago with the huge eighties comeback. We're starting to see that now with the nineties. You have Rugrats being remade, Fresh Prince. Full House, etc. Is it fair to say that you know when today's coming of age group becomes thirty five to forty five, we're going to see you know twenty twenty one stuff picking up? Yes. Here is the the problem, yes. with, but our but pop culture has become so much more fragmented over the last 10, 20 years, like especially ten years. I don't. If you told me 15, 20 years from now, what would be nostalgic? Ah. Uh, You'd be taking like a couple of Netflix shows, like Stranger Things, which takes place in the '80s, and then you'd be taking um, yeah, nostalgic I, for a nostalgia show. Like I'm really starting to think like like in the '80s and even '90s, everyone was watching and listening to this almost the same things because because you had less options, uh, and now you're so many options where, like I said, I don't know if there's going to be a cohe- co- coherent like what was the big pop culture thing in 2022. I don't know. I obviously, I'm not a kid. I'm not around it, but I don't know if it's going to be the same thing. I think New things like Game of Thrones and stuff will will get that. I, sure. I think from a collecting standpoint, though, it'll be interesting to see because you know a lot of this nostalgia it goes hand in hand with collecting, mm-hmm. and um, we are now in a, a, a time where the majority of the things that people are into that we were into, there was there was more physical stuff back then. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how what collecting looks like for the people for people who are growing up now. Wh- how are they going to reclaim sure. that nostalgia like people now do by buying Nintendo games or Super Nintendo games when there's no object? They're going to load up a special drive with all of their. F- I mean, honestly, it'll probably be a neater, tidier existence. But I'm, I'm just trying to figure out like what are they going to glom onto? How what is what is the hobby actually going to look like? Oh, I mean, we already said there's there's not going to be a video game collecting hobby. Sure. Really. Twenty years from now, I don't I don't think there's going to be one. Everyone's going to have a fucking rom dump. Uh, the rom dump. Hey, look how nice my how, how nicely organized my list is. Yeah. Like, you like my GUI, my my, my graphical user sure. interface, like my like, like my front end. Ian, well, that sounds kind of dirty. Uh, next. Hey guys, Zach from Ohio here. I've got a scenario for you. You're given the chance to swap the soundtracks from two different games. The gameplay stays the same, but each game now has the soundtrack of the other. What two soundtracks would you change and why? I, Thanks. I couldn't begin to try to answer this question. I can't like wrap it around my head. I'll but... put a Symphony of the Night's soundtrack on Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Sonic the Hedgehog 2's soundtrack in Symphony of the Night. Uh, I'll put R- Russian Attack on... I'm looking at Box Adventure. I don't know. I can't answer that question. Hey, Pat. Hey, it's uh, Sean calling from Dublin, Ireland. Hey. 
you had to pick a golden age, silver age, and bronze age of video gaming, how would you go about it? Would you start the golden age, you know, in the time of the Odyssey and the Commodore 64? Or during the NES, uh, when popularity started to pick up after the crash? Uh, be interested to know your guys' take on this. Thanks. I've thought about this. I think the golden age would probably be 16-bit. I think you have to have a platinum. You need a platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and modern. It's like comics. Platinum is like pre, pre-superhero stuff, for example. Platinum, sure. platinum to me would be everything uh, pre-Atari, probably. Yeah, sure. Atari's the start of Golden Age to me. So oh, gold. Okay, sh- yeah. Right. Golden Age would be Atari. Ooh, you make the case that it could be Atari all the way through all the 8-bit. You can make that case. Um, if not, it'll be up until the NES. NES would be silver up until... And I would put uh, it through the 8-bit stuff, I think. What, golden? Yeah. Okay, so you do up to like the late 80s. Okay, I can do that. So like a 10 years. Yes. Late 70s to late 80s. Uh, then Silver would be, uh, starting with TurboGrafx, Genesis, Super Nintendo, going into, uh, I guess, I guess until until the Dreamcast. Guess. I was going to say Dreamcast would be a good cutoff. Um, bronze. And, and then Bronze would be... Up to PS... PS2, OG Xbox. I would say go all the way uh, up to 360... That no, almost another ten years, almost. I would say, yeah, go up to three sixty PS three, and then you start modern with okay. PS four and uh, Xbox One. Okay, there you go. We just did it. I you. think style of gameplay. There, there's there's good changes in the style and focus of games between each of those periods yeah, too. I could make an argument that to uh, you NES would be part of silver. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I you could go either. This way is a big that. jump up. Otherwise, gold is just a very small. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a small era. Hey, Pat and Ian, uh, love the podcast. You guys are my number one uh, work podcast to listen to. Just a quick question here. Um, I know in the past, Ian has mentioned that ah, he's uh, delved a little bit with the medical marijuana, maybe a little bit recreational. A little I'm just kind of curious, uh, <laughs> do you still do that, Ian? Is that still part of your life? Um, and you also a question for uh, the good old uh, Catholic boy in over there. Has he uh, what? ever uh, delved into some of the devil's lettuce or some... I was an altar boy. I was going to say, why am I the good good Catholic boy? I haven't I haven't practiced Catholicism since probably early high school. I I, I was I was one point in time I was an altar boy. Did you get the Six Flags uh, trip at the end? That's what the altar boys got to get a trip to Six Flags. No, I fucking That's hated being an altar boy. So why'd you do it? I, that was the end. That was that was the end of my my church. How old was he an altar boy? Probably I had blue hair at one point in time. And I dyed my hair blue for the first time in seventh grade, so I was probably twelve. That's when you stopped. That was when I stopped. Yeah. Did you stop? Did they say anything about, about your blue hair? Did you go to Catholic school? Uh, I did until fourth grade. Okay. Went through fourth grade Catholic school. Um, no, I mean they, they, they. You know, the for to his credit, Father Pat was pretty cool, and he didn't care about my hair. So I've only smoked THC uh, twice. Once, kind of tricked. We talked I Pat. still don't think there was THC in there. I was high, Ian. Yeah, well... I was, like, sitting down like... You're Woo! a welterweight, so maybe it was something else. It, it wasn't CBD, because I've I, I had CBD before. And then uh, someone, a girl gave me a joint. Uh, that was, I think, a condition to have sex. I looked at it like, well, I really don't want to, but this is pretty much a condition, so I feel peer pressured like I'm in, like I'm in high school. So that's why I did it. I didn't really feel anything when I smoked it. Maybe take it a few times, I didn't feel anything. Uh, you generally have to, especially if it's not like really great stuff, you got to smoke a couple of times before it, it kicks in. It k- gets into your body. Um, yeah. Yeah. I smoke every day. I am, uh, every day. I, am, I am high. I'm high now. Oh. Uh, I, I take edibles in the morning because they help my back. 
Uh, I'll be high in the afternoon and I'll probably be high at night. Okay. Uh, yeah, it does wonders for my anxiety, but this is something, and it, it, this is actually, I feel like this is important to say. Um, yeah, I'm a stoner and I, I talk about it on Twitter and stuff like that. I've had a lot of people say, hey, you're a stoner, and that's accurate. I don't, cons- I'm I don't think- consider you a stoner. I'm thinking about, well, because I don't act like a stoner, but in terms of the amount that oh, I, okay. I smoke, sure. I mean, I am. Pe- basically, people come to me and they're like, you smoke a lot. And uh, they ask me if they should. And I would actually never tell anyone that I'm the wrong person to come to for, like, questions about it. I Because everyone's experience with marijuana is wildly different. Mm-hmm. It can turn you into a uh, calm, chilled out fella, or it can really fuck with your paranoia and your anxiety. A, I did a paper in college about and stuff um, like that. Yeah, I did a paper on college in college about uh, studying anxiety versus marijuana use, and it's actually over a certain point, the chronic users had a lot more anxiety sure. than people that that didn't smoke as much. So. Drug use is not something I, I frown upon within reason and, and being safe, but I it's 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 a very deeply personal thing, and I would never feel comfortable suggesting a person try this or try that because it's just going to be different. If you're gonna try drugs, sit down, throw on some cartoons, get some food in front of you, and that's how you start off. Okay. Hey guys, this is Francisco from Retro House Costa Rica. Hey. Would like to know your opinion about the SmackDown video games on PlayStation One. I remember for the time they had the multimedia you were expecting. I mean, the intros, the music, the custom fighter options were there, the career mode as well. I mean, and it was trying to mimic the the TV show and stuff. For the time, I, I think it was great, but somehow I don't see many comments about those games these days. I remember my cousins had. I think it was SmackDown Two, the one with the Rock on the cover. Uh, I remember it being pretty good. Yeah. I, I don't have many memories of it. I remember playing it a decent amount at their house. And I remember I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I love them. Um, yeah. they, you know, at the time, I was des- I desperately wanted a good wrestling game on the PlayStation because N64 was getting all of the good WCW games. Mm-hmm. And around the time, and, and then the PlayStation, they got and uh, like WCW versus the world or whatever, which used roughly the same AKI engine, mm-hmm. but it was a, it was like the first crack at it. There was way less characters and it was kind of stiff. And then we got the shit like nitro and thunder and Warzone and attitude, all of which nitro is the, the, I mean, nitro is fucking terrible. Yeah. It's abysmal. It's, it's really, really bad. It's a st- way step below the other ones. You just, it's, I mean, it's, it's a broken game. It's, it's, um, spoilers. It's one of the only half star games in, in, in the upcoming N64 book. It's, I, it's a fucking abysmal. So, um, I was happy when SmackDown finally came out, uh, because they were, they were good games. They're a little bit faster, snappier, a little bit more mashy than like the AKI games. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were good. I think the reason why you don't hear a lot of people talk about them is because those were really refined, um, refined and kind of perfected in the PS2 era. Like it, when you start talking about PS2 games, those are always like high up on people's lists. They're very well. Uh, received, so you wouldn't necessarily talk so much about the two that came before it on the PlayStation. There were only two on the PlayStation. Yeah, one That's and I two, and I had both of them. And two was like two was a fucking good game, and then they just kept improving upon it onto the PS on the PS2. And PS2s are r- ridiculously good. Like the one I had with Brock on the covers. So, oh, some of them had like those. I can't even remember the, the right two, years. Whatever, now, whatever, but whatever, the whatever. Story, uh, the yeah. SmackDown vs. Raw. 
uh, SmackDown vs. Raw, one of them had, like, the really good, like, uh, creative story mode, and, like, people still play that shit. I had that one, and I had the last one before that. I had the last SmackDown with Brock on the cover. That was regarded as one of the best ones. I think it's, like, 2002 or th- 2003. Like, one of those is regarded as one. Which is the one with Brock on the cover? SmackDown, uh, PS2. Oh, was it Shut Your Mouth? Uh, yeah. Bring the Pain. That's Bring the Pain. Uh, it might have been Shut Your Mouth. Let's see. I thought it was Bring the Pain. Uh, is it, was it Bring the Pain? Yeah. SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain. Yes. Uh, that was Here comes the 2003. Pain. That's a, that was remarkably good, that yeah, one. Yeah, it's a great game. That one is regarded. Wow, that's going for 60 use on eBay, I guess, because people like it again. That that, that there, it's 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 uh, it's here comes the pain 2006 in the one SmackDown versus Raw I think maybe it's 2009 that are the ones the people one. always want. No, here comes the pain. I was, you, yeah, that, that yeah, you create your own entrance. Yeah, you create your own wrestler. You had storylines in that, and it, it was just right. The game, I remember the game playing just right. Uh, maybe a little bit too much reversal, but otherwise it was it was it was pretty good. Uh, you want to do one more? You just want to check in with someone? Let's just check in with whoever we got here. Okay, who do we got to check in with here? We have any check-ins this week? We do have a check-in. Tonight, on Completely Unnecessary Mysteries. Wanted, Pat Contry, a supposed game preservationist and collector. Pat, what are you doing with my sealed Mr. Boston Vectrix and Panzer Dragoon saga? Oh, they're going to get open. (laughs) Now, Wanted, for serial game opening. Authorities say Contry could most likely be found perusing flea market sales and is most easily identified by a sharp smell of cheese. Be on the lookout. Also tonight, what is Ian's day job? Slow, <laughs> slow it, slow it, slow it down. <laughs> also tonight, our most popular and longest running segment, Where's Frank? I am the ghost of Frank. Boo. <laughs> We're going to scare the crap out of your kids. All this and more tonight. Are completely unnecessary mysteries. Very good. Thank you, Toy. That yes, was great. That was wonderful. That was very he well done. He laughs over the lines too much. Sorry. Well, then don't away. be so funny. You got to pull the mic don't away. Don't be so funny. Oh, All right, I'll, I'll pull my Nice away. deep cut pull, pulling the um, haunting uh, Frank clip. Yeah. Um, no, that wasn't. Oh, no, it wasn't that. It was a ghost. What? Which one was that? What was the Frank one? Tonight on Company Segment, where's John? Where's Frank? I am the ghost of Frank. Was that just them? Ooh. Might have just been them. No, that was the haunting. Oh, okay. That was our, I was thinking it was either the haunting. Oh, that's right. When Frank, when uh, when quote Frank shows up in "It's a Wonderful Life" punk from 2010, oh, that's right. not actually Frank. That's someone who looks like Frank. Gotcha. We're, we're going into the lore. That's, okay. that's from the haunting. One of the one of the well one of the better NES punk videos. I think it's like 2014 or 15. It's like, so, it's like eight years ago. Jesus Christ. You've seen that, right? With Floaty Frank Head. He, 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 he has a hard time watching Ancient Aliens in that, in that uh, episode. Well, this was fun one. Ian. It was this a good was one. Great. It was a good time. It's only an hour 32. Yeah. We, we, kept it, we kept it tight, just like how a uh, game should be. Hour 30. Get, hour 30. Get, get it done. <laughs> hour 35, actually. All right. Um, we might do a hangout. Yeah, we'll figure that out. And uh, we'll, we'll, see you, we'll see you next week. Bye.